But 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10, we're going to be considering somewhat of a unique text, text of Scripture once again. And something that maybe you can understand what's happening, but you go, what on earth does that mean to me? Uh, we're going to try, to try to make some application tonight. And so verse number 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 10, the Bible says, And it came to pass after this, so this would be after David showed great kindness to Mephibosheth, if you remember that. He, uh, Mephibosheth was brought in, we'll review that a little bit. Right after that, it came to pass after this, so that would connect this with that event, that the king of the children of Ammon died. And Hanan, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness. Same word as the kindness he showed to Mephibosheth there. I'm going to show kindness unto Hanan, the, the son of Nashon, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their lord, Thinkest thou that David dost honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved off the one half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. When it was told unto David, he sent, for, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, uh, David wasn't really happy with them. They, they saw that they were in trouble. The children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians out of Beth Rehob and Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of the king of Maacah, 1,000 men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men, 33,000 men in total. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtab and of Maacah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all the choice men of Israel and put them array against, against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai his brother, that he might put them array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. Uh, but if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Now, remember this is Joab, who had been uh, fifth-ribbing a bunch of guys. And uh, remember that back uh, a while ago, he killed uh, his own cousin, uh, one of David's uh, sons there. He did uh, a bunch of other things that were very unethical. He killed um, Abner and murdered him for the, uh, for the blood of his brother. Here, Joab is saying, we just need to trust God. Even at this point, Joab realized, 
The Lord doeth that which seemeth him good. This is up to the Lord. Verse number 13. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him unto battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadi Rezer, Hadi had Rezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the captain of the host of Hadarezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fought before Israel, and David slew the men, 700 chariots of the Syrians, 40,000 horsemen, and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore." Did everybody catch basically the flow of thought in everything that happened there? But uh, you say, I'm not exactly sure what all of that has to do with me. Well, the title tonight is this, Dealing with Hurt, God's Way. Dealing with Hurt, God's Way. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Um, just the principles that it sets forth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would um, uh, focus our minds on you and on your word and that you would do what only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So it is Valentine's Day. If you celebrate that day, I, I did get Miss Jessie some flowers last, last night. And um, it, it is a day where you're supposed, to show love, you're supposed to show love to your spouse or to someone who's special, uh, special to you. Jesse's uh, brother in school just asked a young lady to be his girlfriend. So they're uh, uh, praying about the Lord's will. And so that was, uh, you know, very, very exciting for him. And he's about on cloud nine right now. But, you know, it, it, but Valentine's Day is traditionally supposed to be a day where you show love and you get heart things and you talk about love. And, but not just Valentine's Day, anniversaries, birthdays. Um, it's a time to show someone you care about, not just a spouse, but someone that you care about saying, hey, I, I care about you. I, I, I want to uh, show love. I want to honor you. But if you only show love when love is required doesn't mean that much. Uh, love has to be demonstrated consistently. There has to be actions uh, behind it. But even when we attempt to show kindness, there still are going to be times when we hurt one another. There are still going to be times when we say the wrong thing, uh, when we don't do what we're supposed to do. Um, whether it's real or whether it's just even perceived. Sometimes 
uh, the greatest hurts that we struggle with weren't really meant to be hurts. And this can take place in a church. This can take place in a family. Somebody says something and we take it one way and they didn't mean it that way at all. Uh, you, we could begin telling stories from now till uh, service is over, okay, right? Um, there's... Um, the, the joke was, uh, I was reading an article about uh, what men should do for Valentine's Day, and I was reading it to, to Miss Jessie just for laughs, and there was the, um, he was going over the whole, don't get me anything, but then she's disappointed when he didn't get her anything. And we all grimace a little bit and laugh a little bit, but when you, when Something doesn't meet your expectations, whether it's perceived hurt, um, when something doesn't go the way you want it to, and someone says something wrong, whether you perceive it to be wrong, or whether someone really has done something wrong to you, someone really has mistreated you, how you deal with hurt, how you deal with rejection, how you deal with um, mistreatment, is going to have a great effect on your relationships, is going to have a great effect on a church, is going to have a great effect on your family. How you deal with hurts is going to um, have a great effect on that. You, we have to learn, whether it's a real hurt, whether it's a perceived hurt, offense, because we're human beings, is something we have to learn how to deal with, and we need to learn how to deal with it God's way. Because otherwise, we're going to have a lot of conflict. There's, going to be, there's churches that have had, even good churches, where someone did not deal with hurt in a right way, and there was major splits. And some people said, hey, we're going this way, we're not, we're not serving, and there's people who don't come to church anymore. Uh, there's people who don't... Um, my... Um, my great-grandma, uh, my dad's grandma, uh, she, she went to, it wasn't a Baptist church, but she went to a gospel-preaching church, and there was a, an, uh, an issue with who was going to play the piano. She, uh, my great-grandmother was a much better pianist, but uh, someone else decided they needed to play the piano, and so she made a, my uh, great-grandma made a very spiritual decision. I just won't go to church anymore. And she didn't go to church again the rest of her life. And she was the one who suffered for it because she didn't learn, she wasn't willing to deal with hurt in a biblical way. And it, it, it hurt her, it hurt her family, it hurt many of those around her. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 10, it's connected with 2 Samuel chapter 9 where David had shown tremendous kindness. If you remember the word we dealt with, Hesed, or the, the covenant faithfulness, the covenant love. He had made the promises to Saul and to his family. Um, I'm going to honor them. I'm going to treat them with respect. I'm going to treat them with the kindness of God. I'm going to treat them with a way that is going to be right. If anyone had had an excuse to be bitter because of the past, would not David have had that excuse? How many people say, well, I just can't go to church. I just can't serve God because of what happened to me in the past or what some preacher did to me or what some other church, even just the story I was talking about. Because of what they did, I just can't grow. I just can't get past that. 
And there's people who struggle with that. But I want to challenge you, if anybody had that excuse, David did. If anybody had a reason to say, I don't have to do anything nice to Saul's family. David was the one who, who ha- would have had that excuse. But that is not the attitude of someone who's known the kindness of God. That is not an attitude of someone who has a heart after God, right? Um, God, um, in his love for us, loves us even when we're enemies, even when we were sinners, took care of us. And, yet, and so what David did was he honored the promises he made, right? He took Mephibosheth, he brought him into the palace. He treated one who would have been considered his enemy. Mephibosheth was a, the descendant, the next in line to the throne of Saul. Um, but he treated him like one of his own sons. He brought him in. Um, he gave Mephibosheth protection from any harm or threat. He said, fear not. Mephibosheth, I have no ill will against you. Not only that, he gave him continual provision. He said, uh, the lands of Saul are going to provide for your needs, but your, even your food, you're going to eat at the king's table. You're going to be like one of the king's sons. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you a position with the king's family. You don't have to worry about it. Even though you're lame, even though uh, there's a past, we're not going to bring that up. Uh, the just... Think of the love and the kindness that David extended to Mephibosheth. But get this, Mephibosheth had to receive it, right? Couldn't have Mephibosheth said, I don't want anything from you. You're David, you're taking my father's throne, the throne that should be mine. I don't want any, right? I don't want, could could not have that been his response. And who would have been the loser? Mephibosheth. But David extended that kindness, extended that love to him, and Mephibosheth was willing and humble enough to receive it. And it was a blessing to Mephibosheth's family. It was a blessing to David's family. By the way, God's not going to force his love and his goodness on you. You have to receive it. God freely offers it. His his love and his goodness is based on his his faithful promises, not our merit, not anything we've done, but he freely offers it. But for someone to understand the love of of God, someone to enjoy the fellowship of God, they have to receive it. They have to humble themselves and accept it. But it says there, and it came to pass after this. So David, there's a connection here. David did not only show love to those who were of the household of Israel, to those who were of the people of God. We see in chapter number 10, David showing love and kindness to those who had helped him in the past. All right, And so you go, I have no idea who Hanun or Naash, the king of the children of Ammon, is. I don't know what Ammon is. Um, how many know where Ammon is in the, in the Bible? Okay. Well, how many have heard the term Amon, Jordan. Okay, that there's actually a connection there. Where Ammon was was Ammon and Moab were on the um, east side of Jordan River. They were down south just a little bit on the southern part. Moab and Ammon were descendants of Lot through the incestuous relationship that his daughters had with him in the cave. I mean, just the sickness and perverseness that was a result of their living in Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot not being a godly father. They were 
picking up the sinfulness of the world. They had an incestuous relationship with their father. They had sons, Moab and Ammon. Moab and Ammon uh, were, were over there. They were idolatrous people. They were um, not people who were godly in any sense. We've, we've come across Naash before. Uh, when Saul was first king of Israel, Naash had brought the armies of Ammon up against Jabesh-Gilead. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And the men, Jabesh-Gilead was a town uh, there in Israel on the west side of Jordan, just north of Ammon. And he had said, they had said, we'll make a covenant with thee, we'll serve thee, uh, don't, uh, what, what do you want? We, we just want peace here. We don't want to fight with you. Here's what he said. On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all of your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. If, 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 if I'm not going to kill all of you, I'm, I get to take out every one of, you, every one of your right eyes. Okay? Which, if you're trying to shoot a bow, if you're trying to, okay, it would basically make them unfit for battle in any way. But also, he said, I want to just stick my finger in your eye, literally, okay, right? I want to reproach you. I want to make everybody say, man, he really showed them up. He really disgraced them, okay? Amos talks about that the men of Ammon had come up and attacked Gilead and the people of God. And it says that they um, ripped up the women with child, okay? That they would go in and they would kill people and the women, they would take them. Not only would they kill pregnant women, but they would mutilate the babies that were in them. I mean, what are we, we're talking about vile people. I mean, wicked people. Things that are still going on by people in that area. It's nothing new. When you don't serve God and God and you serve the devil, that's what is expected. All right? That, that's where that comes from, is where you're serving the devil. And but David here said, I'm going to return a kindness that Naash paid to me. And you'll go, that type of guy did something nice for David? This, and th that isn't recorded in the Bible. Most likely, uh, if we just uh, came across this, would be when David was on the run from Saul. He went down into Moab, and so likely he would have passed through Ammon, and Naash saw David as an enemy of Saul. Naash had already been defeated by Saul at the Battle of Jabesh-Gilead because he had said, I'm going to put out all your right eyes, and Saul had gotten the armies of Israel and had trounced Naash, king of Ammon, and said, get, defeated him in battle and destroyed his army, so he had to return. So he wasn't really good friends with Saul. Here he sees David. He's the enemy of my enemy. And the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Isn't that how the world works, right? And so he bestowed some sort of kindness apparently on David and um, helped David in some way. So when Naash died and his son is coming to the throne, there had been some level of peace between 
Ammon and Israel, uh, not conflict during that time. And so David said, I'm going to show, show kindness. I'm going to show love. The new king is coming to the throne. I'm going to extend condolences. I'm going to send an official party uh, with an official visit. Oh, we're going to send flowers from the best flower shop in town, right? Um, we're going to send a nice card. We're going to send uh, a uh, convoy or, or a... Um, a the word is slipping my mind. But we're going to send a group of uh, ambassadors over there to say, uh, we're so sorry for, for your loss. We care about you. Nowhere in this text do we see David doing anything other than what the text said. He said, I want to show kindness. right? I, I want to show love. I, I want to reflect the heart of God to those who aren't even the people of God. Right, that we are to do good to all men, that we are to show kindness, um, even to those who don't know the Lord. And what an opportunity when someone else is struggling, when someone else who doesn't know the Lord is going through a hard time, is to show love during that time and to show kindness. And so David was trying to do that. He was trying to do what was right. I've showed kindness to those um, who are the people of God, who are my enemies, and I want to show kindness even to those that are around us. I, I want to do good. I want to help those. But David's good intentions were not received very well. Okay? So he shows up there. Um, the messengers of David show up. King David sends his condolences. He sends, we are here just to say we're sorry for your loss. We want to help in anything we can do. Uh, we're thankful for your friendship and the peace our nations have enjoyed. And the counselors of the king took one look at these guys and began, time out, conference time, king. Don't you see, thinkest thou, uh, it says there, verse number three, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? He was saying, the, the actual, the root of the word is the I. And he's saying, don't you see, don't you perceive, don't you, can't you understand what's really going on here? Can't you see what David's really trying to do? David's trying to send messengers to spy out the land. He is using your father's death as a chance to get you. I, I mean... They are slandering David. They're lying about David. They have no idea what David's intentions are, but they're taking that and they're to totally twisting it, misinterpreting it. So the new king says, well, if he's going to try to use my father's death to show us up and to a, take advantage of my people, I'm going to show them what I'm going to do. If any of David's guys come up, they're going to get the same treatment. And so they cut off half their beard. Okay. Now, by the way, the law of God told Israel, told, part of the law of God was you couldn't mar the corners of your beard. You couldn't trim it and do all kinds of face, crazy things to it. It had to be a full beard. And so they were actually making them in, um, not in keeping with the law with that, but most importantly, it was a shame and a reproach upon them. Okay. If you ever met a guy with a, with a beard, don't mess with his beard, all right? Uh, the guy, people who have those things are very proud of, of those things, right? Uh, people, uh, the statement down south is, don't mess with my wife, don't mess with my truck, and don't mess with my beard, uh, right? Uh, 
but this was a shame that was put on. And then what they did was they took their clothes and uh, the long robe and they cut off the bottom of it and exposed them shamefully to, um, to the world and uh, to their society. The idea is, I mean, they publicly shamed them. They ran them out of town uh, laughing and mocking with them. Uh, really, this is a declaration of war. They're telling David, you send any of your guys back, this is what's going to happen to them. We're going to shame them. We're going to reproach them. We don't want your type here. We don't want your help. Right? You talk about misinterpreting good intentions. You talk about someone taking a good thing and seeing it as a wrong. So David's men come back. David hears about it. He sends to them in Jericho, which was the furthest uh, east town in Israel. He says, you stay there. You don't need to come back to Jerusalem and experience the shame of your family or a royal court. You wait till your beards are grown, till you can uh, come back with honor, and you come back and uh, you're going to be restored to your position. So he tried to take care of his men. But then it says they realized that they stank. When they saw that they stank before David, they had made themselves odious. They realized maybe this wasn't the best idea. Uh, there's there's, there's going to be something that happens here now. And instead of asking for David's forgiveness, David, we totally misunderstood what was going on. Instead of seeking reconciliation... They hired 33,000 mercenary soldiers. They went, hey, we need you on our side. And we need you on our side. Hey, we'll, uh, Chronicles records they paid 1,000 talents of silver, 75,000 pounds of silver, to hire other soldiers to come in and bolster them to back up their actions. Instead of seeking reconciliation, they got more people involved. They called their friends, they called their neighbors, told them all about how David had done them wrong and they needed some help to back them up, and they doubled down on their actions. Is this not exactly how conflict begins? Somebody, whether wrong or right, often someone misinterprets an action that were not meant wrong, had, even had good intentions, and they do something that's totally over the top. And then instead of dealing with the situation, they entrench themselves and say, hey, I just, I'm just going to get more people involved. And eventually, you're going to back down. Rather than simply admitting that there's a wrong, they start telling other people about it, and they start doing it over here, and suddenly, that what could have been easily resolved is now this thing that involves a whole lot of people, that involves multiple nations. That invo I mean, the, the more that you act in pride, the more people are going to get involved, and the more things are going to get hurt. News came to David... His enemies were gathering together, right? Now the Syrians are coming down from this area and from this area and from this area. Remember, David had garrisons in that area, so messengers were coming in. David, we got to do something. There's, the, there's armies on the march. Uh, they're threatening the people of Israel. They're not just going to stay up there. Uh, war has been declared. Things are going on. And the Bible says there in verse number 7, when David heard of it, he sent Joab 
and all the host of the mighty men. So David did not gather all Israel together. Uh, the mighty men was a small standing army, a small standing force that David had. He said, we need to deal with this promptly. We need to deal with this um, specifically and directly. Now, to make application in our lives, we must understand a difference between David in a text and ourselves. David here is acting as the king of a nation. This is not David personally acting one-on-one -on -one with someone else. It's his nation that has been attacked. It's his nation that has been mistreated. And so David is responding as the king of his people. He is responding on behalf of his people to a danger to his nation. Okay, by the way, a nation that is attacked has a moral obligation to respond. Um, Israel has a principled response and has a right reaction to what is going on with Hamas right now. There are those that are accusing Israel of genocide. Uh, when we were in the city on Monday, uh, there was a whole bunch of college students from Cooney that were having a pro-Palestinian, um, a pro-child murderer, I mean, uh, rally there in New York City and um, accusing Israel of genocide and all of that kind of thing. And so we skirted around it as much as we could. But no, there is a, just making a side note here, as a nation, when there is an attack on your people, there should be a response, okay? There is a principal response to deal with that. And so David, um, and what Israel is doing is responding principally, okay? They didn't, they didn't just go bomb all of Gaza. They could have done that. Okay, you're going to do that? Nobody's going to be here. That's not what they're doing. They're trying as much as possible to deal with the terrorists that murdered the women and children that were in defenseless that were in their in their in their nation. And so we need to have a understanding and a moral understanding of despite all the lies and slanders that are being thrown around in our world today, uh, have an understanding of that. And so what David did was he sent Joab and the mighty men to deal with Ammon before the situation got out of hand. What David didn't do was go get a bunch of other countries involved, right? Hey, you're my friends. Hey, you owe me a favor. How about you come and stand behind me and help me? No, he dealt with this personally. He dealt with this directly. Um, he said, we need to deal with this quickly. We're not going to let this fester. We're not going to let this continue to grow. We're going to deal with this and get this over. So Joab reaches Rabbah there. He reaches the capital of Ammon. And he found the situation had already gotten out of hand. He was trying to deal with Ammon before it got any bigger, but uh, uh, Joab arrives with a host of mighty men, and uh, from my understanding, it's, that was somewhere around 6,000, uh, something of that. It was a small group of men. And here's the armies of Ammon in array. That would simply mean in battle order, right? They're, they're lined up ready for battle in front of the city. Joab marches up and all of a sudden he hears a bunch of noise behind him and here comes the 33,000 army men of the Syrian army with horsemen, with chariots in the field. And so he's caught in the middle. Uh, this is not a situation that he wants to find himself in. Uh, but he's there because the king ordered him there. And so he says, he calls the men together, more words 
are given to Joab's speech than is given to the whole battle. That's why. Uh, in our minds, we, how did the battle go? It just says they fled. Ah, they didn't, it doesn't give us a spear by spear, stone by stone account. Because what matters is the, the, the theological element here. David's, uh, Joab tells his men, be of good courage. Be strong. We're not giving up. And then he says, let us play the men. And the, the root of that is the same courage, but it's a different verb tense. It means this. Be of good courage and act with good courage. Okay? Have courage, show courage. Men are courageous. Be courageous. Let us play the men. Act like a man. Right? That's what he's telling his men. Um, and he says, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. We're going to do what we've been called to do, and we're going to trust God with the result. For a guy like Joab, that's a pretty good speech. Uh, that's a pretty good uh, Joab. That's a, that's a pretty good thing. We can listen to that. There, there's truth there. He says, we're going to keep doing what we've been called to do, and we're going to trust God with the results. God gave him the victory. He got, they divided their army in half. Facing a superior force, that's really not the best strategy to do, is to split your army, but that's what Joab did. And he went and he attacked the, uh, attacked the Syrian army there with the best guys. Syrians took off running. When the children of Ammon saw that their backup took off running, they, they took off running back into their city. And so Joab went home. Problem solved. Syrians said, we're not letting this go. So they went and gathered all their people together. Isn't that how conflict works? It starts right here, and then it gets bigger and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And David said, okay, he got his army together to protect his people because there would have been uh, attacks against the villages and the defenseless people of, of Israel. And so he fought the battle. He soundly defeated them, 40,000 horsemen. Uh, did David take out 700 chariots? I mean, he wiped them out and destroyed them. God gave them the victory. And then there was peace. When David's kind intentions were rejected and his men were mistreated, David responded by acting with principle instead of acting with hurt. And he trusted God to give the final victory. All right. Now we have to remember, David's, res, res, David's response was for a nation, not an individual. He was acting on behalf of his nation. David wasn't going in there, well, you did this to me, I'm going to do this to you. He wasn't acting in vengeance. He was acting in principle. He was acting for the defense of his people. He was acting as a king should. He was acting ethically. He was acting based on principle, and he was acting with trust in God. But like David, there's going to be times when you're wronged. There's going to be times when you're mistreated. There's going to be times when things get out of hand, whether you perceive that someone did something wrong or whether you have truly been mistreated like David's servants was and David's nation was, you are either going to respond in anger 
or are you going to respond in principle and trust with God? By the way, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. When someone gets upset and says, I'm going to right this wrong, God has not given us that right. Okay? Uh, we have to act in principle, biblical principle, and trust in God and leave the results up to God. By the way, if you're trying to do right, there's going to be times where people misunderstand you. There's going to be times where you're doing right and people are still going to mistreat you. Especially if you're serving God. Because that's what Jesus put up with. He was despised and rejected of men. And he warned us that if you follow me, don't be surprised when this world rejects you. Brother Sam, uh, the president there at Heartland uh, for many years told the story, he, had, he was 22 years old, he was just in the ministry, uh, looked younger even than pastor does now, uh, right? He, and he was going out door knocking his, his first couple months there uh, as, as an assistant pastor there in, uh, in the Oklahoma City, greater Oklahoma City area. And he got dropped off by one of the other church staff members and he's going up and knocking a door in this nice manicured neighborhood he knocks on the door, and this middle-aged, refined, classy woman opens the door and just, I mean, if you, as, the, as he tells the story, if you could just have disdain on someone's face, it was all over her. Who do you think you are knocking on my door? He told her, you know, I'm Sam Davison with First Baptist Church over here in Dell City and want to invite you to church. Thank you, we're not interested. And, you know, had to walk down the whole long uh, uh, driveway there. And the way he tells it, it felt like it was three miles long with her just staring uh, holes in her back. And then all of a sudden he heard, Sam, come here. Sam, come here. And he turns around. She goes, not you. She was calling her dog. He goes, the driveway seemed about nine miles long. I was in the 1960s. Times haven't changed much. I was out putting out door hangers uh, just last week. Sure enough, somebody called up the church. Left a wonderful voicemail about how we were marking their house for people to come by and uh, let them, by letting them know that people were not home. And I mean, and just went on and on and on and on. None of us like rejection. None of us like it when people do wrong, especially when we're trying to do right. You try to help somebody and give them some good advice, they cuss you out about it. They get upset at you. You're trying to help your child, point them in the right direction. Who do you think you are telling me what to do? It hurts. But what you do with your hurts is going to have a great impact on your ability to serve God. You respond. Let me see. All Come on. You need to hear. Did you hear what they did to me? Did you hear what they did to me? That's not going to help the situation. You're either going to respond in anger or you're going to respond in principle and trust in God. Okay? 
There is a way to respond. If someone's actually trying to hurt you, there's a way to respond with that. It's not to go personally attack them. It's to get those who are supposed to deal with those things involved and let them handle it. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay? Uh, someone called up and left the church a uh, nasty voicemail. I'm not going to call them up and ball them out and say, well, you're on your way to hell. And, okay? Right? That, that's, that's not the response. Right? You, could you say that? But that's not going to help anything. Is that going to help the name of the church? Absolutely not. If you're, in a, if you're in an argument with your spouse and some, you're convinced that they're wrong, you could respond in anger and you could make sure that you get through, but it's not going to solve any problems. Rather, we have to respond in the principles of God's word of vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That we have to respond in humility that we have to respond in love, okay? David was responding for his nation, so he was acting in principle in the defense of his nation. When something happens to us personally, there's an extent where there is, if something is being done illegally, if something is being done a threat to your family, the Bible is not a pacifist book, okay? It's saying you have no right to um, defend your family if something's coming against them or... Uh, uh, get the police involved, that there's something illegal or there's a robber, okay? That is principle. There's ordered ways to take care of things. But there's also unordered ways to take care of things. If there's a hurt with someone, deal with that personally. Okay, the Bible says, Matthew chapter 18, if, you, if thy brother, this is talking about in a church, has something against you, go to that person one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of times, understanding the intentions of someone can really change your, change your understanding of what took place. And you can solve a lot of conflict without having to get other people involved, without having to, and you can uh, restore the friendship. But when we don't respond to hurt in a biblical way, we're going to hurt ourselves, we're going to hurt those we care about the most, and most of all, we're going to hurt the reputation of God. But there's also the point that we can make just briefly. Those who reject God's kindness are going to bring God's judgment on themselves. Um, the kindness of God was being extended, and they rejected it. There's people, you try to witness to them, and they're going to reject the kindness of God. They're going to say, "I have nope, don't want that. I can't change their heart, I have to be faithful and let God handle the hurt. But I know this, God has promised he's going to take care of the wicked. He, he's going to take care of what's going on. When someone is, is just out to get you, if someone is attacking you, it's not up to me to make that, to accomplish that, but I can trust and the Lord doeth that which seemeth him good. I'm going to keep being obedient where God has me. I'm going to keep trusting the Lord. By the way, I'm going to keep putting out door hangers. By the way, you should keep loving your family. You should keep witnessing. You should keep coming to church. Even if somebody in church says something that hurts you, you should keep coming to church because that's right, and the Lord doeth that which seemeth him good. There could be pastors that start saying things. Keep doing what's right and trust the Lord to take care of it. When we respond in hurt, when we respond 
if that's what you're going to do to me, right? The New York City saying is, I don't get even, I get ahead. Um, that doesn't come from the Bible. That does, that, right? That is a response that, doesn't, that does not reflect the grace that God has shown us. David had to respond, but he had to respond in principle. But you have to be careful with carrying the hurt. Because when you carry hurt from what other people did to you, it can have a major effect on your decision-making in the future. And we're right on the precipice of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it was some of this event. This event is very much connected with the story of David and Bathsheba. And part of me has to believe that, while, that, that why David was not where he was supposed to be was maybe he didn't let go of all the hurt that he experienced. And, he, and he, though he dealt with the outward at right, and there was a time that they were trusting in God, but the continued, as, as hurt continues to mount up and you continue to have to deal with things, it's very possible to begin to hold on to something that can lead to disaster. And so you're, we have to be very careful that as hurts come, by the way, they will, they will, often from those you love the most. You're either going to respond with anger that's going to be more destructive, or we can trust in God and do what he's commanded us to do. When we do that, it's amazing how God can work it, work it out, how God can give the victory, how God can resolve that situation. And when God resolves it, we can say, that wasn't me. I, I, I didn't do that. We'll let God resolve it. One quick story, and then we're done just on God resolving it. There's a pastor I know out in Washington State. They were trying to build a church building, and the town was against them and just making everything impossible. And there was this really old tree that was on their property. And the, because of the tree-hugging uh, philosophy of much of the, um, here on the East Coast, but especially on the West Coast with that, they said, you will never build a church building on that property. It will never happen. We have to protect this tree. So the pastor there, they said, we're going to pray. And we're going to let God handle this situation. We're going to respond with principle, not with anger. We're not going to lash out. We're not going to attack them. We're not going to sue the city. We're just going to uh, keep doing what's right, and we're going to trust God to handle it. Well, after a couple years of trying different channels and going through different things, there came a big storm. A lightning bolt came and hit that tree and blew it in a million pieces. They already owned the land. They said, well, the tree's not there anymore. Can we build? There's a beautiful church building on that property right now where God is at work. And nobody can say they dynamited the tree. They didn't no, no. God took care of it. I didn't, 
there are situations going on right now in each one of your lives where you can say, I don't know what I'm doing with it. I don't, I don't know why this is going on. I've been trying to do right, and I've been trying to help people, and, and it just seems like I'm being mistreated, I'm being maligned, I'm being attacked because of this. Keep doing what's right, and trust that God will take care of it. He will. God is a whole lot better meeting out, at meeting out justice than we are. God doesn't need vigilantes. He needs servants that will trust Him and serve Him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for Your grace. Lord, I pray there are many real hurts and many real struggles that people are facing right now. And Lord, I pray that You would give us the grace to trust You and to respond in the way that would be pleasing to You. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment, just if the Lord has spoken to your heart, you need to pray there. Give something to the Lord. Let's take a moment, do some business with the Lord.